you live from the gorilla camp located deep in the heart of rural northern north carolina i am your host nc scout the commandante of the mossy oak militia and that is all of you proletarians out there the truck drivers the mechanics the workers the working class the armed proletariat and it is very very good to be back with you once more, and uh, coming back on the air, man, a whole lot has happened since the last time your ears and my voice have connected. We had the scout course over the last weekend, which was just in a huge class, was really an incredible experience, and some of that stuff is well documented over on AmericanPartisan.org. You can read some of the stuff. There was a piece written uh, by my very good friend and one of my students, Crusoe. He goes by the name of Crusoe. And um, I thought it was incredibly well written. It was great after action review. And of course, uh, Mike over there, who is uh, a fellow trainer, uh, runs Von Steuben Tactical. And he was one of my op fours slash uh, AIs where I needed a fill in. And, uh, you know, he wrote a piece, too, about them hitting their final objective, which, um, you know, he kind of gave lip service to it. But these these guys were exhausted uh, by the end of it. They were absolutely exhausted because it was just one um, one smoke fest after another conducting a direct raid, then an assault on an objective, then getting ambushed and having to fight your way through it. Um, it was really, really a, a great experience and um, had some incredible, really an incredible level of experience in the class too. Uh, everything from civilians who have never even touched an AR-15 before let alone, you know, even even thought about owning one to, um, you know, a, a recent uh, platoon sergeant that got out, infantry platoon sergeant, uh, force recon marine, it, and, you know, everything in between. Literally everything in between, all skill levels in between. And um, one of the things that I'm most proud of in the scout course is taking people with really a novice level of experience and building their marksmanship capability, building their marksmanship skills, and um, then teaching them the maneuver aspects, you know, because you can build a competent rifleman in a relatively short amount of time and you can build a competent rifleman with not a huge amount of ammo expenditure. You know, 
a lot of the ammo expenditure that people incur on the range, flat range, square range, whatever you want to call it, a lot of that is sustainment skill training for um, the the weapons manipulation, the gross motor manipulation, the muscle memory, if you want to call it that, right? That is, you know, us remembering the manual of arms, committing it to our most innate level of capability. And it's an important thing, right? It's an important thing. It's an important thing to work towards that skill, work towards that objective. It's an important thing to maintain it. Uh, however, that's mutually exclusive from marksmanship and marksmanship is not predicated upon speed either. Um, these, these are all things that get kind of deep into the weeds when it comes to, uh, rifleman training and marksmanship training and what have you. And, um, you know, the approach that I've found that has been most competent in all of this and by, by, uh, me saying most competent, I mean, I literally mean most success on the students part is them becoming incredibly relaxed and being in a relaxed atmosphere um, because people typically are more scared to fail when they are on a range, when they are receiving instruction than they are of succeeding. You know, I was always more nervous when I had somebody standing over top of me, basically micromanaging me, making sure that I was going to do it. And I was more worried about letting them down than I was my own success. And, you know, we've all been there. You know, we've all been there. And so when you're on the range, the only thing that you really need to worry about, you know, kind of to borrow a line from Caddyshack, is to be the ball. You know, be the ball, relax. And the skill is going to come. Okay. The skill is absolutely going to come. And then of course you got to move into the maneuver aspect. All right. You got to maneuver the, the maneuver, the team movements, the realities of fighting with a weapon and the small unit tactical aspect of fighting with a weapon. You know, that, that stuff, those lessons are irreplaceable and you know, while we can all pray that that day never comes where we have to do that, at the same time, it is vitally important for a civilian populace to have those skills, okay? To be hitting the field under uncomfortable conditions, getting outside, getting off of that couch, getting out from behind that computer, Whatever it is that you're doing in your day-to-day life, you're getting out, you're doing something more than what you are doing now, okay? If you got that really cool weapon set up and and it's been a safe queen, you know, and it, it's still with the packing grease all over it and, and you know, you, you really haven't done anything with it, you haven't doped that scope out, right, data on previous engagement, you, you know, you went out, you bought 10,000 rounds of ammo, but you're afraid to shoot any of it. What are you doing? What are you doing? You need to get out there. You need to be training. Okay. You need to be training. And the last thing that I'm going to say, last thing I'm going to say on the class, because this was a, it was a gigantic class. It was an incredible class and seeing the skill level that was fomented in short order 
among people who did not know one another but were able to competently patrol um, by the the second day of patrolling of this class. Uh, it was one day of marksmanship, two days of patrolling. By the second day of, of their patrols, they had already broken down into leadership roles and, and getting to know the expectations of one another, and it was really impressive. But the last thing that I'm going to say, the last thing I'm going to say on that is a frequent question that I get. A uh, frequent question that I get of um, people out there who are, you know, they, they, they like to email, they kind of tap dance and into things. And they'll say, you know, oh, well, how do I build a group? How do I build a group? How do I build a crew of guys? How do I train people? How do I do all of these things? How do I do this stuff? How, you know, I, but they're sitting there, the, the, the answer is right in front of them, but they're sitting behind the, behind a computer all, on the internet all day. You'll see these people on, you know, some of the more pointless forums on the internet. I think a lot of the gun community is, is pointless. It's circular. Um, and that's not a criticism. It's a fact. It's, it's not going to do anything. It's not designed to do anything. It's just people complaining. Okay. I had people in class who were from the same geographic region and we'll leave it at that. And they met one another. They didn't previously know each other, but they met one another and, and now they are linked up. And so you got group A and you got group B. Now they're linked up and they figured out that they, they actually weren't that far apart and now they're going to start training together. And over a, a couple of beers after hours and, you know, hanging out a little bit and getting to know one another in, in person. You know, not at some goofy honey pot trap crap, right? Not not answering some recruiting flyer that's half baked, right? None of this crap. They came to a class, they invested the time, they invested the money, and they invested their trust in it, and they found out that there's other people of like mind. And that right there is the prime reason that you should be out training. You should be out getting that experience, absolutely, and you should be out learning from all those instructors that are out there that are willing to put themselves out there, themselves on the line, to bring you the very best. But, you know, the the intangible thing that you take away from that, the intangible goal that you get there of networking, of building that larger community, of realizing that you are not alone in all of this. You are not alone in any of this. There's a lot of people out there that feel the exact same way that you and I do. And they're out there taking it upon themselves to sharpen their skills, to knock the rust off of their skill set, to make themselves more dangerous in order to protect their communities, to protect their lives, and to protect this nation's liberty. It's an important thing. And it is a noble goal to follow. It is a noble goal to seek, to attain. And it, for me, it, it's the greatest, the absolute greatest reward that I could get for doing this. It's why I took 
the gargantuan task of building a forum not once but twice. The first one got censored, it got taken down. It got taken down, didn't just get tore down, it got yanked down like the walls of Jericho. And you know what? I said, okay, that's fine. John Paul Jones, I haven't begun to fight. And you know what I did? It took me a little while. took me a little while because when you're doing things really kind of mostly on your own and you're doing it as you go and you're kind of making this up as you go because I don't have a lot of resources. I don't have a lot of free time. And what time I do have is deeply constrained more often than not. So I'm having to do a lot. I'm having to do a lot on my own, right? Now, I've got some really good guys who help me out from time to time as much as they can, but I don't want to lean on them all the time. I don't want to lean on them. And you guys out there who are listening to this and you know who you are, you know you're loved, you know without a doubt that you're loved and appreciated, but I'm just saying that for for a lot of folks out there, you need to understand that this is a one-man show, but I give 100% of everything that I have to bring you the very, very best, to bring you the best information, the best news aggregation over on AmericanPartisan.org, along with articles that you can use, the best community possible over on the forum, forum forum.brushbeater.org. And of course, this podcast, as much as I can do, as much as I can do, and I give you as much as I can, you know? And so training really takes the forefront. And with all of that said, now you have to understand why training takes the forefront. Why it is at the center of everything that I do and why I pretty much go off grid. You know, I've got another class coming up in Tennessee, RTO, Advanced RTO, and Signals Intelligence. That course is full. I've had a bunch of emails, last minute people trying to get in. Look, I can't, okay? It's it's done. It's a done deal. There's other RTO dates up on the calendar. Pick one, okay? Pick one of those. Those don't say course full beside it. Pick one of those, all right? And if you're one of those people who is out there thinking, well, you know, I see those course dates. I'm not willing to travel. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people out there who are willing to travel, who are willing to put themselves out there, put themselves at risk because I'm traveling. I'm traveling and I'm bringing those classes to you because you have to take the fight out into the world. None of this stuff is purely academic. None of it. You have to be willing to do what needs to be done. And you have to be able to get out there and do it. Something that I said, kind of an impromptu uh, question and answer session after dinner on the second night of the scout course uh, we were discussing some things, and I'm going to go deeper into those in a dedicated podcast here real soon. Um, but one of the things that that I said that I think was was really really important, and it kind of it resonated with everybody in there, is that just like the the old uh, song, the old old uh, funk song from the late 1960s, and it was a uh, Vietnam, Vietnam War protest song. It was um, really kind of geared towards a lot of the unrest that was going on there, the Watts riots and, and what have you. But the revolution will not be televised. Right? The revolution will not be televised. And what 
were they actually saying? What was a point that was being made when they say the revolution will not be televised? It's not that it's going to be censored. It's not that it's going to be shut down. It was all over the news. No, that's not what was being said at all. The revolution will not be televised meant that the revolution or the counter-revolution would not occur by you sitting at home. And so with that said, the revolution will not be online either. You have to get out there. You have to get out there. You have to invest the time. You have to be willing to train yourselves. And it's not for everybody. I'm going to tell you, it's not for everybody. But for the people it is for, those are the right people. And those people who put in the work today, they are the inheritors of a brighter tomorrow. Just like Noah in the flood, building of the ark. All of you that don't prepare, all of you that don't train, all of you who aren't doing what you know you need to be doing. All of you that are doing that, you're going to reap what you sow. You'll find out. It's going to come. It's going to come. Uh, sooner rather than later, and it is really seriously shaping up. We've got a lot of news to get to, but first, I want to talk a real quick about the Radio Contra sponsors. First, Civil Defense Manual, Jack Lawson, two-volume set. If you don't have Civil Defense Manual, what are you doing? Have you ever even listened to this podcast before? I wrote the communications chapter in that book, you Definitely need it. I had somebody email me not that long ago and ask if I'd do a Radio Contra where I was just reading the the chapter of that book. No, I'm not going to do that. Long story short, no, that's that's not going to happen. Um, I'm totally not gonna, going to uh, do that for obvious reasons. Um, but that being said, I will be doing a communications Lessons from the Farm series coming up as soon as I'm back from Tennessee. So there is that. However, uh, Civil Defense Manual written by Jack Lawson and several other well-known, well-versed, been there, done that, verified experts in their field contributing in such areas as neighborhood defense, communications, intelligence, and medical training to get you a very comprehensive guide on how to organize and stand up a neighborhood protection team for the uncertain times, which are looking like that they're shaping up. It's looking like that they're shaping up. You know, if you don't have these manuals yet, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious here. And, you know, you, I wrote the communications chapter for the layman, for somebody with no prior experience. And in reading both of those volumes, the rest of the book was written from the same perspective in pretty much all cases. So you're going to be able to get a lot. And you're going to be able to reference this thing over and over again. A lot of nuggets of wisdom in there. So go ahead and get it. CivilDefenseManual.com. Do not delay. CivilDefenseManual.com. Go over there and get it now. And on that note, Blacksmith Publishing. Blacksmith Publishing run by two well, very, very well-known special operations veterans. 
Paul LeFevre and Mike Blackburn, both instructors at the U.S. Army Special Forces Small Unit Tactics course, which is a required portion of the U.S. Army Special Forces Qualification course. They wrote the book, uh, the Small Unit Tactics Handbook. They wrote the handbook for this course. You need a copy of this book. All right, you need this. It covers a lot of the same things that I cover in a very condensed manner, obviously, in the scout course, but it is an incredible work with an incredible amount of knowledge in it and something that I think that, that you're going to find very, very valuable, but they have a lot of other great books as well. Um, everything from Iron Sharpening Iron, which is one of my favorite books out there, it got me through a pretty rough time in my life, and I know that it's probably going to do the same for a lot of you out there. I think that it's required reading for everyone who calls himself an American man. Everyone who calls himself an American man, not just a Christian, not just a warrior, but an American man. You need to read that book. It needs to be on your reading list. And they've got a heck of a lot of other good stuff over there to the land nav book that I just wrapped up. Um, you know, you, you can get through this book in a, a quick sitting. It is very plainly written. It's one of the more uh, simpler guides to land navigation that I've ever read. And it is extremely effective in its, its message and the way that it is conveying the information. You can truly tell that the author who is pseudo-anonymous, uh, in, in writing this book, but you can truly tell that he's an expert in the craft. The only other book that I would say that uh, on land nav that compares to their edition is Don Paul's book, the, the Green Berets Guide to Land Navigation, which is also uh, up here on my bookshelf and taught me a lot of things when I was a young guy, uh, young Joe, just coming up in the army. <clears throat> and really, you know, cutting my teeth on, on those land nav skills. But, you know, everything that they have, everything that they have is written with a purpose, is written with something um, that is a, a important amount of knowledge to convey. And it is important that you gain that knowledge because these are all, when you boil it down, these are all books about warfare. That's your shit hitting the fan situation right there. You know, your austere situation right there. These are guys who survived the worst of times and have trained the, the, for the better part of their life to survive the worst of times, conveying what they learned to you. There's no better manual in the world out there. Last and certainly not least on that list, my very good friend, frequent guest here on Radio Contra, Joe Dolio with the Tactical Wisdom Series, now a three-volume set on Amazon. Tell you what, what an impressive series. What an impressive series. Um, former Marine, GWAT vet, criminal investigator, He's, he has got a, a CV that is a mile long himself, and he is sharing a lot of great knowledge, a lot of great wisdom, you know, and, and when I'm having an a interview with a guy and, and we sit there and, and we could just sit there for hours going back and forth talking about everything and, and everything you talk about flows on the same wavelength. You know, I, I know that there is good stuff. And as soon as I checked out that first book, I said, oh, yeah. 
you know, I know this and I know this and this guy checks out. He is awesome. So definitely three publishers out there, three authors out there who are conveying some incredible wisdom, some incredible wisdom, and you need it. You absolutely need that. So go check them out. Tell them NC Scout sent you. Definitely go check them out. Tell them you heard about it on Radio Contra. Let them know. They're going to appreciate it. I'm going to appreciate it. And, of course, I appreciate all of you out there. Let's have a little bit of music, and we will come back. We've got some deep stuff to dig into. Chatelet, all you mad lads of the meme wars out there. Uh, <laughs> if you get it, you get it. If you don't, well, you don't. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's a little inside joke from the scout course, and I thought that I would play it. But um, anyway, diving into some things. So Ukraine, you know the the big the big invasion that was supposed to occur. At 0300 on 16 February. Well, you know, here it is. It's still 16 February. We're, we're waiting. Um, oddly, oddly specific coming out of the White House. Oddly specific timing. Of course, the intelligence told us that uh, they, that they were totally going to invade. The Russians were going to invade. Um, which is, you know, turned out to be false. Because who, who in the hell... In, in all of history has ever told somebody, yeah, this, this is the exact time that we're going to invade. This is the exact time that we're going to go in. This is the exact time that we're going to do this. So we want to make sure that we're going to take the most casualties possible. Right? We're going to take the most casualties possible. We want, we, we want you to know that we're going to do this. This is a bunch of crap. And what I've been arguing the entire time, if you go back and, and you listen to the Sons of Liberty, we've been discussing Ukraine, um, you know, and, and you, you go back and really pay attention to the things I've been saying the whole time. I've been saying uh, from the beginning, I said that we were going to position troops in Poland. That was what we were going to do. We were going to put Bubba's in Poland, which we've done. We put one brigade from the 82nd, one brigade from 101 is headed there. Right, they're in Poland. They're they're headed to Poland. Right, the deuce is already on the ground. Okay, we're gonna move them. When they said we we're gonna move them to a NATO country, that was exactly what was meant. We were gonna move them to Poland because Poland's a NATO ally. Okay, Poland's a NATO ally, and um, that the positioning in Belarus of Russian military assets was being done to reinforce the Belarusian military should any hinky things uh, 
go down like they did in Kazakhstan. We tried a color revolution there. It failed. It failed because the people who were conducting said color revolution are a decade removed from the somewhat successful Arab Spring. Depending on what side of the fence you want to look at this at, um, you know, if if you look at it in terms of uh, raw regime change to give way to anarchy, which um, in turn helped corporate interests, well then, you know, it was successful. Did it overthrow the guys uh, who were in charge and in question? Yes. Uh, did it spread death, destruction, and suffering to untold millions of people? Yeah, did that too. Uh, so it checked all those boxes, led to a massive refugee crisis, which Europe is having to absorb, uh, which appears as though it was organized. Uh, that aspect of it was organized and purposefully done as well. So, yeah, um, Russia has moved in to bolster their assets there, their buffer nations, a further NATO encroachment. And let's think about this. Let's step back. Let, let's get the let's get the, the the geopolitics, let's get the quote unquote nationalism out of this. Right? Because I think that it's really funny that all these left wing turds that are out there that are really, really chomping at the bit for a war. Right, they're all cheerleading a war. I think that it's really ironic because I remember when I was a young guy going to Iraq, these are the same people who would have been spitting on us. And these were the same people who would have been spitting on the Vietnam veterans who never get enough thanks. Right? Calling them imperialists, no blood for oil, baby killers, all this stuff, right? All this stuff. And now they are here. Look at them. The same people. The same people are cheerleading that. Why? Why has that occurred? Because it's quite simple. One, these people lack any ability and all ability to critically think. Two, they have absolutely no principles whatsoever. And no regard for anyone else in the world but themselves. And three, three, they're on a quest for power and control. They always have. I mean, this is pretty blatant. This is this is literally all they want. So I know that some of you out there listening to this are probably going to say, well, wait a minute. I'm going to scratch my head here. So you went to war. You made a, a career, the, the better part of your adult life, spending, you know, uh, many years overseas and have have even you know argued back and forth the merit system and, and trained people to, to do these things. So um how is it that you're coming out as anti-war? Well I am anti-NATO for sure. Why? Uh why? NATO is an organization which has outlived its useful purpose. Um Europe should be protecting Europe. Why are we sending uh, our interests there. I mean, in, in seriously, in 2022, why are why why do we have any interest in anything that Europe is doing? They're not in competition for resources. They are not our problem. Nothing that happens on that continent is any of our issue. So why are we so concerned about it? From a a strictly pragmatic point of view, 
it, it would make more sense to try and build stronger ties with Russia, would it not? This isn't to come out as, as some sort of Russophile. Not at all. In fact, it's quite the opposite. But at the same time, we turn a blind eye to our southern border, which is wide open and is being exploited by the Russians and is being exploited by the Chinese and is being exploited by Iran. All these countries that have it out, right? The knives are out. They have it out for us. And yet we're supposed to go fight them on their continent, on their terms, with their logistics. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And what has NATO done for the United States? What has NATO done for us recently? Right. Aside from making Raytheon rich, aside from making the military industrial complex rich, aside from lining the pockets of these elites, aside from that, and of course they want a war, they, they bleed for war because they do not have to bear the cost of it, they simply collect. You and I, we have to bear the cost of that war. So I ask you why. I don't have a competent answer or even a good answer for that. And I can't find one. I can't find one. Telling you, your sons and daughters out there, you should not be willing to let them die for Burisma. To die for politicians who very obviously do not care and have contempt for us. We see this vibrantly. We see this in everything that they put out. They have contempt for us. And it's on public display. It is on public display. And they wish at every turn to rub your nose in it. Turn it off. Mainstream media, which you're already turning it off. I, I think it's funny. Got a news story here that came out at, that CNN has hired researchers to figure out why Joe Rogan is popular. Uh, and, you know, The Last Sons of Liberty, which we're, we're going to have another episode um, tomorrow night, but Last Sons of Liberty... I was talking about Joe Rogan. It was week before last. And uh, a lot of the stuff that was coming out about Rogan and, and everything, whether you're a Rogan fan or, or not, it doesn't matter. Um, that, that is what it is. You know, he's, I, I mean, I, I don't really have an opinion on the guy one way or the other. I mean, he just is. Okay. Um, there's been some bits that he's done that I think is pretty funny. I think that he's a, he, he's an entertaining comedian. Um, his podcast just is what it is. It's just random. Right. But the reason that he's popular is that he's giving you an unbiased filter. It's genuine. There, there's a genuineness there that you don't get from other outlets. And, and that's why he's popular. And you take a, an organization like CNN, it's been caught lying over and over and over again. They have absolutely no principles, but yet they want to lecture you. They want people like Don Lemon to lecture you um, as if these people are, are 
anything to be respected or anything to be uh, beholden with the, the public trust. It's actually quite sad. But what I mean, can can you really expect any different? Um, th- these are the people who are carrying water for petty dictators. These are the people who are carrying water for Trudeau. You know, and people are turning them off. And I think their their only ratings at this point are coming from airports, uh, coming from airports, places where people don't typically go anyway. But um, anyway, um, sliding down the list here, though, we've got a little bit of a storm brewing coming out of China and the first uh, reported case cases of Lassa fever in the United Kingdom. The first victim has died. Unfortunately, it was a newborn baby, uh, which died according to the National Health Service of Britain. But um, Lassa fever, it's important to understand what Lassa fever is. Uh, it is a hemorrhagic fever that is somewhat difficult to transmit and catch. And uh, coming from the same region as Ebola, uh, Western Africa, and it is kind of similar to Ebola, but not quite as fatal, uh, which I guess is the good news. But the bad news is, the bad news is, for a few months now, uh, there's been a few alternative media outlets out there. Uh, some of the more high-profile ones, Steve Bannon's um, Pandemic War Room has been reporting for um, a few months now. The there's an outbreak of a hemorrhagic fever in China, and you know as this has went on, not a lot of information has come out of it. There has been. Uh, some unconfirmed reports. I had an unconfirmed report on the forum earlier today. A guy was saying that um, some people were coming out of China, out of the Olympics, saying that bartenders at the Olympic complex were wearing hazmat suits. And that was really, really odd. Now, this person wasn't there. This is secondhand information. So take it for what it's worth. But it has been reported. Um, and the hemorrhagic fever has absolutely been reported. And again, that was over on Bannon's platform. Um, but what we have identified now, we've got Dr. Li Mingyan says the Chinese Communist Party is spreading hemorrhagic fever bioweapon at the Olympics and has revealed the antidote. And we've got a lot of information on this up on AmericanPartisan.org. Mike Adams has been talking about this too uh, over on Natural News. But um, the first doctor that really blew the whistle on what the Chinese Communist Party was doing, Dr. Li Mingyan, has now said that this hemorrhagic fever was uh, made from gain-of-function research. So we know, you know, in the two years removed almost three years now removed from the first emergence of the SARS COVID-19 virus that we have uh, proof that Fauci absolutely lied. The National Institute of Health absolutely was conducting uh, gain of function research on uh, SARS viruses, which led to the releasing of the COVID-19 virus. 
Now, you know, where that goes from there, we don't know, but we absolutely do know that there was gain-of-function research that was being done. There's a lot of other gain-of-function research that's been done, too, that we don't know about. And what it's looking like is, is that this hemorrhagic fever, the deeper that we go into it, bears a strong resemblance to Lassa. Uh, this article goes on. Li Ming told Rucker that the CCP has been studying various strains, if you will, of hemorrhagic fever viruses. These include Lassa, Marburg, and Hantavirus, all of which just so happen to share the CD38 drug target in the disease. Her sources reveal that the CDC was already fully prepared to release the spy weapon during the Winter Olympics, though she cannot confirm which strain of the virus has been released without first obtaining the viral genome. So, here you have it. Um, and, and if this is true, if this is true, um, and knowing knowing the Chinese Communist Party, knowing the genocide that they're committing on the Uyghur people of Zhejiang province, Knowing the orchestration that they have conducted uh, here in the United States as well, acting as a foreign interest and the level of involvement they have in, in our politics, uh, the level of ownership that they have in our politics, both both conservative, uh, neoconservative and liberal, right, on both sides of that, Um this is absolutely a bioweapon, and, and if this is the case, if this is the case, this, this, was, this would explain all of a sudden the rollback of the COVID restrictions in Washington, D.C., and a lot of these uh, dyed-in-the-wool communist authentic, uh, uh, authoritarians who are now backing off of the COVID restrictions. Right, because we were sold this bad bill of goods over and over again, right? Delta variant and Omicron variant and so on and so forth, right? How dangerous they are. And I'm not saying that they're not a threat, but this is another level. Hemorrhagic fever is another level. Look at the panic that was caused over COVID-19. And now we have cases of this in the United Kingdom, Okay. And this does affect children, all right? COVID-19, you know, whatever variant really didn't affect kids. Uh, it was statistically insignificant. And, you know, less than 5% of the children that would contract this were going to die. Less, you know, less than a, a large percentage are, are fatal anyway from COVID-19. Lassa fever has a relatively low mortality rate as well, but it is a particularly dangerous virus when not treated. <clears throat> so with that said, um, if it is, if this report is correct, okay, if the, and, and that's the linchpin there, if this report is correct, if this information is correct and the sources check out, um, and, and only time is going to tell. But if we look, you know, we judge future results based on past results. And with Lassa fever, um, this, if it, it's, as I understand it, it's a kind of a difficult to transmit virus in and of itself. But if gain of function research has been done on this, 
to weaponize this, and it has gotten out. Things could get ugly, and they could get ugly in a hurry. Um, they could absolutely get ugly in a hurry. And you're talking about hemorrhagic fever. Um, <clears throat> you know, SARS COVID 19 was really sold as, as being this dangerous thing, but then it started coming out that, you know, well, a lot of the symptoms are, are a lot like a flu. Okay. Um, you know, that, that's, that's all right. And, and as time wore on, people got more and more desensed to, uh, the dangerousness of this virus. But when you're talking about a hemorrhagic fever where people contract the virus, they begin to hemorrhage, they have hantavirus, uh, Marburg, and, and so on and so forth. They, they begin to have uh, frightening outward symptoms of this, this virus as it runs its course. You're going to have public panic um, that's that's pretty, pretty um, intense there, you know. So, you know, again, we're going to see, time is going to tell, but this is something we absolutely need to be paying attention to. Um, and, and if it's true, you know, that, that if it comes out that it's correct, of course, the, the uh, our national media, our state-run media, our corporate media, because... The corporate entities in the state are one and the same, folks. Hate to break it to you. Um, and I, I'm going to be diving deeper into that in the next episode. Uh, the next episode of Radio Country. I'm going to go pretty deep into that one. But if all this is correct, and the Chinese have launched a biological warfare weapon on the world, what should be the consequences there? They've done this not once, but twice. This is the epitome of evil. These people are the epitome of evil. And yet, and yet, nothing has happened. There were no boycotts of the Beijing Olympics. Unless, of course, you count the number of people that watched it here stateside. I don't know anybody that's watched the Olympics. I don't know, whatever. Um, so, it's a gigantic nothing. I know uh, Team USA is not doing real well anyways. So, um, who cares? But, it's a serious thing that... that you know, our, our system is already, and when I mean the system, I mean our larger social order, our social entity is already feeling this large-scale general strain, all right, and things are breaking down, and they're breaking down in a hurry and rapidly. You have to prepare yourself for these things, okay? You have to prepare yourself for all of this. So it's an important thing. It's an important thing. Uh, so... Coming up next on the list, just sliding and skimming through, Give, Send, Go. Give, Send, Go advertised on this platform and a heck of a lot of others as an alternative to support the Canadian Freedom Truckers, what I call the honking, and um, the Christian Alternative to it, they got hacked. They got hacked by a, a well-known Antifa hacktivist. Uh, this guy is self-described as an Antifa-oriented, uh, aligned guy. Has done some stuff for them, and he's been outed. He, uh, by the way, he admitted it. He claimed responsibility. He was on Reddit. Claiming responsibility for this, and apparently the knives are out 
for this guy. Uh, we got a link to the original story. It was up on American Partisan. Get a link to the original story if you follow that one over there. And, um, you know, check that out. They have an update on their site of what's going on with that guy. He's made his Twitter account private. And, you know, people are, are understandably very angry because he doxed a whole lot of people. They raised over $8 million dollars. In a short amount of time, he doxed the owners, put it into a CSV file. Now, it's my understanding the CSV file is still under lock and key. It hasn't um, gotten out there, but he did put a lot of the other people's information, not getting too much into the specifics, but he did put it out there. Um, So it is floating out there. It's pretty, uh, pretty serious stuff. Right, it's pretty serious stuff, and this is coming on the heels of Justin Trudeau's government going full communist. Of course, communism, totalitarianism is in his blood; it's in his genetics. It's where uh, he he gets his inspiration from. Of course, uh, you know his parents were well-known communists as well. Uh, consorted with a, a lot of lefties, a lot of the communist international out there. This is this was their thing. But anyway, he has moved to freeze assets and banking of conservatives, of anyone who is, quote-unquote, supporting the Freedom Truckers. And this is uh, invoking the Wartime Powers Act, the Emergency Powers Act, rather, uh, there in Canada, this is a slippery slope to totalitarianism, folks. Um, you know, and, and say that it can't happen here. Okay, say that it can't happen here. Now, this is leading to, and predictably, this is leading to a giant run on the banks in the Canadian banking sector, um, which is going to have a, a huge ripple effect. Um, the Canadian banks already... We don't know what their their ledger books are looking like, but with a run on the banks, I mean, as we know from 1929, kicking off the Great Depression, uh, stocks crashing, this could send a, a lot of things in, into a tailspin because Canadian economics are tied at the hip to American economics, and you know, this is, this is really beginning to feel the pain. Now I was having a conversation earlier today with somebody who's asking, you know, well, what do you think about the, the pain that, uh, everybody is feeling in Canada from, you know, they already have shortened supply lines. The trucks are not running. Stuff is not moving. So, um, what are their shelves looking like? And it's bare and it's only going to get worse with time. You know, and, and that's all I was saying in the last episode is that with a strike, everybody feels the the struggle. Everybody feels the pain. You have to be um, willing to make that sacrifice and understand for a better tomorrow, right? And understand that it's all part of it. It is all part of it, and, and it is a struggle, right? You know, so... He's going full totalitarian here. They're freezing people's bank accounts, you know. And, and from a from the perspective of somebody who has studied insurgencies uh, intensely, professionally, 
uh, both with professional experience, dirt time, uh, doing this as well as academic. And I can tell you that when you remove the avenues by which people can peacefully protest or people can peacefully have their voices heard, if you simply dismiss the power of that, and you seek to beat them down and rule through fiat alone, you're never going to win. You're never going to win like that. And you're only going to make things tremendously worse. Tremendously worse. And we're seeing this. Um, we're already seeing this. And what's going to happen, the way that I see it, what's going to happen is the... The police are going to end up siding with the protesters. You're going to not, not completely, not in all cases, but many of them will. And we're already seeing kind of the beginnings of that. If he calls in military to try and put this down, you've already got tow truck companies that are saying, you know, screw your emergency powers act. You're a petty dictator and we're not doing what you say, you know, you you've got all the power, but at a certain point, you've removed any incentive to cooperate. Um, you're going to find yourself on the wrong side of things, right? You're going to find yourself on the wrong side of things very very quickly. And this is, I think that this is this is already having a spillover effect here in the United States. Um, you know, in a lot of rural areas, places that I, I frequent, I'm seeing a lot of uh, outward showing of support for these guys. And uh, here in the United States, there's a lot of rumbling, right? There's a lot of rumbling of the support for the truckers and, and, you know, getting the stuff going here. There's a lot of that, that, that is occurring. And um, it's a perfect example of a protest done right. When there is something to be achieved and you are staying there for the long haul until it is successful. Right until it is successful, and I think at this point, uh, for the truckers in Canada, they they are not going to leave until this government completely resigns, until Trudeau, until all of the labor uh, liberal, you know, that that whole left wing right side resigns. Now, what they they replace it with, who knows. Um, but this is absolutely going to have a long-term effect in Canada as it should. Okay, as it should. And I'm cheerleading those guys on. I mean, the honking is one more big sign in the fight for freedom that things are accelerating, that they are, um, you know, really ramping up because they have to. Because we have governance, whether it's Canada, whether it's the United States, you've got people in other parts of the world. You know, you, you earlier today, I put up on AmericanPartisan.org, President of El Salvador literally saying, you know, the, the war is going on in Canada. The war is going on in the United States. You can fit, forget Ukraine. Forget Ukraine. Because Ukraine is a sideshow. Okay, it's Kabuki Theater. It is a sideshow. It is there to protect the interests of Burisma, the piggy bank of the deep state, the power elite that has set up shop there on the Russian doorsteps and they're trying to create a war. They're creating a war now. They want to create a war to try and protect their assets, their retirement plan, so that they can keep committing their crimes all around the world. Stand up for freedom. 
Stand up for freedom. And if you're on the other side of the fence and you're listening to this podcast, I know there's a lot of you out there. I want you to stop and think. Stop and think. You know, where were you in 2003? How did you feel then? Dust off some of those arguments. And I want you to go back and re-examine where you stand now. It's an important thing. Okay? It is an important perspective to go back and look at and compare those notes then. Because I'm going to tell you, a lot of the same actors are the same. Okay? A lot of the people are the same behind the scenes. That's the way that it works. That's the way the theater works. Okay? So, again, this isn't a... I'm going to dive deeper into what Russia is doing in South America probably tomorrow because there's a lot of moving pieces there that uh, need to get some more airtime. They really need to get some more airtime because mainstream media isn't going to do it. And it's something I've talked about in the past, but we need to dust that off again. We need to revisit some of that material because uh, just in the past two weeks, there's been a significant ramping up of activity down south beneath our borders, and it's going to bubble up. It is going to bubble up. Anyway, folks, it is great to be back with you on the air, getting another episode cranked out. I hope that you had as much fun listening to this one as I did making it a lot of serious stuff going on out there in the world. But definitely take some time to enjoy some things. Forum.brushpeter.org. Get over on there. Join the conversation. I would love to have you over on the forum, americapartisan.org. Fresh daily news, daily articles, a lot of how-to survivalist prepping wisdom, and a healthy dose of national pride as well. Brushpeter.org slash training calendar. Got a lot of new dates up on the training calendar as well as a new class that I have up there for that first weekend in April. It's going to be taught by a practicing medical doctor that has experience with Doctors Without Borders. We're going to be doing an austere care class, setting up field hospitals, long-term care, survival preparedness, medicine, um, grid-down considerations. Full course description is up on brushfeeder.org. Definitely go check it out. You're going to want to be in this class. I'm excited for this class. Um, I'm very, very excited for this class. When I was approached and asked if if I could host it, um, I jumped at the chance because I think that it's, it's some excellent knowledge that a lot of people are going to need out there. And unfortunately, as the way things are, are coming together in the world right now, I think that, that these are all skills that we are going to need. Anyhow, folks, may God bless you, and I will talk to all of you very, very soon. This is NC Scout, out.